Hello and welcome to episode 270 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me in Stateline, Nevada is Nathan Fox. How's it going? Living the dream, man. Living the dream. What is yeah. the dream? Uh, right now, it's mostly golfing, hiking, hanging out with friends, trying not to get COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying not to get COVID. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. People cool. here don't believe that it's real. So, you know, it's just, you got to be really? a little. In like Tahoe area? It's Nevada. I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's a different place here, you know? Huh. It's, no longer am I a coastal elite. I'm <laughs> I'm, with the, I'm in middle America now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the population is pretty sparse, right? And it just hasn't, it hasn't struck, like, I don't really know anybody who knows anybody who got it or, you know, mm-hmm. was it significantly impacted by it. So, well, yeah, it's not people, real to them then, right? If no one, I mean, I don't really know <laughs> many people, if any, who have gotten it. It's always a friend of a friend. So, right. I know that it's real and I know it's a thing you don't want. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid that as best I can. Good. Today on the show, we're going to answer some questions. One of them is, do I need to study differently for the LSAT flex? Okay. We have a pearls versus turds on getting a better score later and applying later versus applying now with a lower score. We have a positive story about LSAC. Okay. Hmm. That's good. There's apparently an LSAC quiz on legal careers. So if you're struggling with deciding what to do after you go to law school. This sounds, um, I'm very skeptical of this. Might have to take Uh, this quiz live for the audience. (laughs) Yeah. Well, either way, they're trying to get as many people to go to law school, right? And get you excited about the potential legal careers you might have. In any case, Mm -hmm. there's a quiz on that. Um, We have a question about scholarships and a thank you. Thank you. And if there's time, we'll go over test 65 logical reasoning question. Great. Cool. Um, Upcoming stuff. This is going to air on Monday, November 2nd. Within a few days, the November LSAT Flex will start. Good luck for all those of you who are taking it. The registration deadline for the January LSAT is December 2nd, which thankfully is after you should get your November LSAT Flex score. So you can get the score and then decide whether to register for January The deadline for the February LSAT flex is January 6th, and then the January LSAT flex is January 16th. The February LSAT flex is January 20th. I mean, it's that week, but that's when it'll start. Okay, you can email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. We always appreciate those. If you got a fee waiver, you can get the demon for $30 for four months. That's a deal. I did hear that there's a long backup now, Ben, for, um, not because of us, but there's a long backup (laughs) for uh, getting approved for LSAC fee waiver. Hmm. Like weeks slash maybe even months. uh, It's taking them to turn around those requests now. Wow. Okay. Um, So, yeah, especially if you're just starting out, uh, you're not trying to rush into law school anytime soon. maybe one of the first things you should do now is sign, uh, is fill out your paperwork for that LSAC fee waiver. If you can get it, it's worth like a couple thousand dollars worth of free LSAT stuff. 
yep. uh, LSAC stuff, but then it's also uh, gets you free stuff from us, significant discounts from us, and um, free applications to basically every law school because no law school wants to be the guy who's charging um, LSAC fee waiver <laughs> recipients. All you got to do is just say, hey, I, I was approved for the LSAC fee waiver, and they should happily waive your admissions fee or your application fee, rather. Okay. Good luck with that, everyone. You want to take this first email about how to study for the LSAT flex and whether we should do anything different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hi, guys. I found on your website some advice on studying and what to do the week before the normal LSAT. You talked about winding down studying, not worrying, thinking about it as a PT, and watching a movie the day before. Has your advice changed due to the pandemic and the nature of the LSAT flex? What would you say to first-time takers? And what should we do with our tests approaching? I'm taking the November LSAT flex on the 11th. Thanks. M. Totally different, right, Ben? Oh, yeah. Definitely I mean, study right up until the last minute. <laughs> Take Don't wind down at all. Multiple tests. <laughs> Worry a lot. Yep. Don't think about it as just another practice test. Make sure that you remember that it's the most serious test you're ever going to take in your whole life. Mm-hmm. And don't watch movies. No. God, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, that's the nature of the world that we live in. So I hope you appreciate the change. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 2020. You have to be super stressed out now about everything. That's how, <laughs> that's how it is. If you're not sure, we're saying... Don't do anything differently. <laughs> yeah, it's just another practice test is just about the most important advice we can give somebody, I think. Yeah. And there's no reason why that is any different for the flex. I mean, the significant differences with the flex are you're taking it at home. It's three sections instead of five. The balance of scoring has changed slightly. Games and reading comp are a little more important now. Logical reasoning is a little less important. But other than that, I mean, no. Somewhere in the last week, you need to declare victory over the test and stop studying. At least a day before the test, you should take a day off. Yeah. You should take the test seriously the same way you take all your practice tests seriously. But you shouldn't try to do anything different or special or extra on the official day. You got to just kind of play the game you've got. Oh, the other major difference with the LSAT flex is that you take it at home and it's uh, proctored virtually instead of proctored, you know, in person. Yeah. But that's more of a benefit than it is a detriment for almost everybody. And even if you're one of those people who doesn't have a computer and doesn't have a quiet place to take the test, you can apply for an LSAC will actually loan you a computer and pay for a hotel room for you to take the test. So yeah. better all around, I would say. I mean, it's just really hard to imagine the person for whom the flex is not better. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not that hard to imagine because they do f- f- sometimes fuck up the proctoring. Um, you're rolling the dice with their virtual proctors because their virtual proctors are not well-trained. But their live proctors were not well-trained either. So again, (laughs) yeah, when bad shit happens, that's bad for you. But overall, uh, the LSAT flex is a good thing, not a bad thing. And 
Ben and I are both uh, in agreement that we're hoping um, we never go back. Yeah. Because it was kind of miserable miserable before, y'all. Yeah, all they need to do is <laughs> make the test a little bit longer, I guess. <laughs> what do you mean? Like add back the missing section of logical reasoning? Add back the missing section of logical reasoning, add back the experimental section, and then go to a video proctor as opposed to a live proctor. I think if we could give them one tip, and this was not even our idea, right? This was a listener Mm -hmm. of the show who said, hey, why don't they just record your session and then they can proctor it? I know you hate when I say asynchronously, Ben, but hopefully they can. Why don't they proctor it asynchronously so that the proctor does not risk fucking you up in the middle of your test? Yeah. Also, that would be way cheaper for them, I'm sure. If not, maybe not way cheaper, but it has to be. Proctor U has to offer two different tiers of virtual proctoring, and one of them is going to be asynchronous. And that one, mm-hmm. it would be ridiculous for that not to be cheaper. Yeah, because they can like spot check it, and they can just have one person click through and watch five seconds of a hundred different files, instead of the weird thing that they do where they dip in and out of your session and like go like, can you, "Hello, is this thing on? <laughs> can you, can hear, you me? hear me?" And you're yeah. like, "What? I was what? I was working on the tests. Yeah, yeah. yes, I can hear you. Thank you." Um, that doesn't happen to everybody, by the way. In fact, it doesn't happen to most people, but it has happened to enough people that it's like, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. There's also the just errors connecting to the proctor, waiting for the proctor to be available to start your test. Um, seems like an easy solution. Uh, maybe we don't know, Ben. Seems like an easy solution. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think that they have like computer programs that search for anomalies. So I don't even know if they have to have a person go through and watch all those videos. Right. It, it seems like they could pretty easily detect if your cam, if your face was totally off of the camera or they'd be able to detect if there was noise in your room. And those are the things that the proctors are actually doing anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there are obstacles that we, <laughs> that, we that we are unaware of. Yeah, but that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like if starting in June or whatever, they're just like, okay, we're no longer doing, well, it's flex, but now it's just really just LSAT online. It would be great for them to stop saying LSAT flex uh, because why? What's We don't need more terms and shit in the world. You could just call it the law school admission test. Yeah. They also could have called it the LSAT online. Yeah instead of the LSAT flex, but I don't know. They were scrambling <laughs> to come up with a name <laughs> in, the, in the first month or two of COVID. They were scrambling, yeah. clearly. So they flex is what they settled on. They must have thought themselves very flexible. I think they were trying to indicate, yeah, that like, <laughs> hey, guys, we're being super, you know, this is a, it's weird COVID times and we're being flexible to accommodate everybody. So this is how we're doing it. Uh, while also and they couldn't call it LSAT accommodations <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's a different already thing. happening. Let's take it. <laughs> <laughs> All the tests are already accommodated. Um, hmm. Okay. 
Well, uh, yeah, M. Sorry, I, I don't know. I think we answered your question. <laughs> Just treat it as another practice test. Yeah, well, uh, maybe. Oh, uh, what would you say to first time takers? There is one. The the score preview thing is a thing that's only available to first time takers. And if M is new and doesn't know about score preview, um, score preview is the new service that they offer where you can pay them extra on the first time you take the test and then they will show your, show you your score and then let you decide whether or not you want to cancel it. But because it's only available to first time test takers, <laughs> unless you have its value. Yeah. Right. Unless you have crippling anxiety about the possibility of getting a bad score, you know, the best way to alleviate that, by the way, is to do lots of practice tests and learn a lot about the test and get better so that your practice tests are better, so that you are more confident that you're, you know, ready for the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess I can see a student with this crippling test anxiety where any benefit is going to help them. And for their first official attempt, if they have score preview, then at least they know, Hey, I'm not going to have to decide in advance whether I want to cancel. They're going to show me my score and then I'm going to decide whether I want to cancel. But canceling is generally bad. Like can't a canceled score and a bad score on your record are generally the same thing. Mm Hmm. Maybe not for Canadian students where apparently law schools average LSAT scores a lot more. Yeah. Maybe not for Yale because Yale's probably going to consider all of your scores. But for literally every other school, I, I I just don't see why. What's the difference? Yeah. I mean, I could see a case for like, let's say you get a one. I don't know. It's like a, a abysmal score and you know that you're – practice test scores are way above that. I guess I'd rather have a cancellation, a C, than a number. People can assess a number, but still it's all subjective. So, um, because the highest score is all that really matters. I, yeah, I don't know. If you have the money, go for it. If you don't, don't worry about it. It, I'm going to dig this up here for a second. This, this might take me just a minute, but, um, we got an email just like, yesterday you responded about it right the uh technical cancellation oh yeah Mm -hmm. let me just read that real quick because it's it's about canceling um i received a call from an lsac administrative director he said that one of the schools i applied to called concerning the discrepancy between my scores I suppose the 37-point increase stood out. Ha ha. <laughs> 30, 37. Okay. <laughs> that does seem like something that is deserving of like, an explanation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the entire scoring scale, Ben, is only 60 points. So to improve by th- 120 to 180, to improve by 37 points is... Um, shocking. The administrator told me that he could see in my file that only one section had recorded answers. This is, this is LSAC. This is an administrator at LSAC telling our student, oh, 
Well, only one section of your test has recorded answers. <laughs> Why wasn't that automatically flagged? <laughs> I, I, seriously, Ben. <laughs> hey, hey, parents, cover your kids' ears because I'm going to drop an F-bomb. Um, why the fuck, Ben, does it take three weeks for them to release your scores if they're not doing a, as simple of a check as this? Yeah. What could be simpler? Mm-hmm. If somebody didn't, oh, only one of your, huh, only one of your sections has any answers. Oh, well, three weeks later, Did you here's just your score. like sit out the last two sections? I mean, that appears to be the case. <laughs> Maybe he didn't know any of the answers. <laughs> he was struggling through all of them he, and just he refused did. to commit to anything. Safety first, Ben. He didn't know any of the answers and he didn't want to settle for a random guess. So he just didn't answer any of them. That happens. I, I could, hey, that could happen, Ben. Um, no, that cannot fucking happen. There's no penalty for guessing on the LSAT. Everybody's going to automatically just pick a thing. If, Anyway, continuing on with this email, it's just ugh, it's so dis- disgusting, really, like how poor the customer service. Like, Ben, why does it take three fucking weeks if they're not going to do that, which could be done automatically? Turns out my initial suspicion, this is our, our student again, turns out my initial suspicion of the technical issues I had not allowing my answers to be recorded was correct. So our guy even had had suspicions that there was something wrong. Yeah. Which, do you remember, Ben? I can't even remember at this point, but I imagine that he would have asked them, like, hey, it doesn't look like my answers are recording correctly. Yeah. He said, this LSAC administrative director said, that he would process a technical cancellation to have the score removed from my record. He also said a note would accompany my new score report stating that the cancellation was due to technical issues out of my control and the 133 from my previous score report should not be considered. So not only is this actually going to be removed from his LSAC permanent record, which neither you nor I even knew that that was a possibility until we got this email yep not only that but (laughs) this person is now nicely sending an email to the school like oh yeah yeah no that was our bad it was a glitch on our end yeah disregard that score for the student yeah i certainly wasn't expecting this bump from lsac so late in the game but i'm glad they reached out having heard so many horror stories about lsac i'm glad i can share a positive one (laughs) And that's a very generous interpretation, I think, of this situation. Yeah. Because it's just already a problem that it takes them so damn long to release the scores. And now we find out that they're not even doing a simple automated check to make sure that you have actually answered questions on more than one of the sections. Yeah. That would take, I don't know, Ben, you manage software developers for us. That, how long would it take to add that feature to the daemon? I mean, that one feature day. by itself? Yes, a day at most. <laughs> yeah. So 
I just and 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 then it's it's almost like they're kicking themselves in the nuts because surely they end up having lots more customer service issues because they don't have something as simple as this already built in. I, and I just, the three weeks thing is what just blows me away since every other modern test releases your scores immediately and they yeah. take three weeks to do what? Anyhow, <laughs> back to our agenda. Thanks, Em. <laughs> I guess we were discussing score preview. Yeah. Score preview would save you from this type of thing because it is possible that you did your very best on the test, felt good about it, had no idea that you had done that that this glitch had happened. Yeah. And then you get your score back and it's like, uh, 122. <laughs> yeah. Which the only way to get a 122 is to not answer the questions, by the way. because uh, random guessing on every question should result in like a 126. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you you have you have just not answered. You didn't even randomly guess to get a 120. And, and it's possible that they just don't record your answers, give you back a 122, and they're just like, hmm. Hmm. Oh well. <laughs> But with score preview, at least on your very first attempt taking the LSAT, you would be able to see that 122 and go, well, uh, okay, I'll cancel that. It's worse than random guessing. I could, it's safe to cancel that one. Yeah. And based on this email, you should reach out to LSAC and see whether there was a technical problem. Sounds like there was. <laughs> and see if you can get it totally cleared from your record. That way you yeah, can take yeah. it again. For sure. Yeah. If your score comes back bizarrely low. Now, I'm not talking about five points at the bottom of your range <laughs> or three points below the bottom of your, you know, I've been averaging 168 and my lowest of my last 10 was 163. And somehow I got a 159 on the official test. It's like, well, people do sometimes choke on the official test. Yeah. And yeah. it's most likely that you tried to do too much and you got in your own way and you swung for the fences and struck out essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about if your score comes back 20 points lower than, you know, was even possible yeah. for you. Uh, seems likely that something happened. And now that we know that there's this technical cancellation loophole, <laughs> we have no choice. It's our responsibility to encourage you to call LSAC and like gum up the works even further yeah. customer service wise um, yeah. to try to get that shit fixed because it's tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. It's the beginning of your legal career. So if you see something super anomalous like that, you definitely should be asking for a technical cancellation. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. This next one, uh, pearls versus turds. So far, the scoreboard, by the way, this is where we talk about, we take wisdom from out there in the world and we decide whether it is good or bad advice. Um, the scoreboard right now is nine pearls, 36 turds, and 21 ties. In other words, the internet is a cesspool of information, not a pristine pond. Hey guys, 
I recently saw a couple of posts on Instagram from LSAT tutors that I thought could be potential content for pearls versus turds. Well, anything is potential content, really. Um, the question is, will it be a pearl? What are your thoughts on this advice? Step one, achieve goal score untimed. Let's just stop right there. Don't achieve your goal score untimed. That is horrible advice. Okay. Why? You got to get used to ignoring the time. And so I get, I don't know how often it happens, but for new people, they come and they're like, so I did a, I did a test and I, I did it untimed and I got a 163 and I just can't understand why my actual tests are 150 <laughs> and um, I guess all I need to work on is time. I mean, there's right. all sorts of misunderstandings there. One, why are you getting a 163 on an untimed test? Like, that's not good. Two, now you've taken away the lesson that the only thing you need to work on is time to get your 163. And no, it's not just time. It's really a function of your understanding. And three... You're practicing in an environment that you're not going to do on test day. So you're not used to ignoring the time and going with the flow, which makes your practice different from your actual testing experience. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my, my gut reaction to it was like, oh, that could be okay because, you know, we are always talking about focusing on accuracy over speed and, make sure that you can understand the questions and get them right, basically. But <laughs> I didn't think it through. You know, the next step is exactly what you're saying. Somebody's going to come to us with like, well, I'm happy with a 165 and I can get a 165 on with, with unlimited time. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to change my focus <laughs> to speed. <laughs> I think there's a paradox here where this tip could end up having the exact opposite of the intended effect, right? Like people are going to be, I think it would be very easy for people to achieve their goal score untimed. Yeah. And then falsely get the idea that, oh, okay, because I'm able to do it untimed, now all I have to do is work on my timing, which we never, ever, ever want you to work on your timing. We want you to, we want you to go deeper into your understanding of the questions so that the questions get easier so that you don't have an issue with time. It's, it's not, there is no tricks or tips for timing. There's no, here's how to go faster. That's exactly the opposite of our whole strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I have even more problems with this. The more I think about it, how do you decide what your goal score is? Because I think many type A perfectionist lawyers are going to be like, well, 180. Yeah. But it's also the case that even an expert might not score 180 with unlimited time. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not the case. If I sat there for all day, I mean, I, I would have one or two that I would struggle with and I would eventually figure them out. Yeah. But... You could be a damn good LSAT prospect and still not be capable of that for months, I would think.
of studying. So it seems like, yeah, and then what happens is they don't time themselves at all, or they don't time themselves until the very last minute. And then once they do time themselves, then they think, oh, okay, now I'm playing a different game. Which is this weird race the clock version of the LSAT. Which we do not want you to do at all. Yeah. Now, I would say that drilling in the demon is untimed, but you're doing individual games, you're doing individual questions, making it impossible to determine what a time should be. There's and, no goal score. There's no, yeah. there, there is no, when you're doing untimed practice, you're not even going to get a 120 to 180 score. So it's not mm-hmm. about, I mean, yes, achieve your goal score on this question. Your goal score on this question is one, not zero, but one. And so when you do the drilling in the demon, it's that's how it is automatically. Like, I don't want you to hit the submit button unless you're sure it's going to turn green, which it does when you get it right. And that's one question at a time. Yeah, I can endorse this, but that's clearly not what the tip is about. The tip is about take a whole test and do it untimed and keep doing that until you can get your target goal <laughs> – Goal scores are so stupid, Ben. Like <laughs> people come to me all the time with like, well, I've decided that I just want to get to 160 or I want to get to 165 or I want to get to 175. And it's always like, well, one, you might be selling yourself short. How'd you decide on 160? Yeah. Two, you might have set an unreasonable goal for yourself, which happens all the time. I mean, how many phone calls do you get, Ben? Oh, my practice test, my, my last, I took the official test. I did Kaplan and my official score was 142 and I really need to get a 175. Yeah. Cause I have bad <laughs> grades <laughs> and it's like, okay. Um, you might be able to get to 175, but 175 would be a terrible goal for you to set for yourself. If you're scoring 142. Yeah. If you're scoring 142, your goal should be 145 and then 150 and then 155 and work your way up in manageable increments rather than setting this outrageous pie in the sky goal that you, yeah. you know, just might not ever reach. Imagine, imagine this by analogy, right? A 144 is, or 142, I can't remember what you said, is an average starting score for most people just starting out. So it's kind of like being an average American. So you can imagine, imagine <laughs> like an average American is like, oh, I'm going to take up running. Okay, well, go out and run a mile. It'll probably take you 12 minutes. I don't know. Right. And you're like, hey, you know, I was watching the Olympics the other day and I saw some of the best people like getting sub four minutes. So, I mean, I, I can't do that. I know I can't do that, but I'm shoot. I got to get at least like five five like really yeah you're gonna go from 12 minutes to five in the next like you're gonna just start doing that like you're gonna injure yourself no that's a perfect analogy i 100 agree i mean you could do that same thing with any sport you know deciding you're gonna play yeah. in the nba before you can dribble a basketball it's like one step at a time you know and so goal i just don't i always have hated you know Shoot for the moon, <laughs> because if you miss, you'll hit the stars. <laughs> that is the dumbest, most vapid 
nonsense. The truth is, you know, if you try to shoot for the moon when you're not capable of a moonshot, you're going to blow up on the launch pad. You're not going to accidentally miss the moon and just end up on a journey out of the solar system. <laughs> That's not how this shit works. Nope. Um, <laughs> you need to it could be a pile to, of wreckage. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, there's a reason why Elon Musk does multiple repeat sh- test fires and short little launches and, you know, uh, suborbital stuff and yeah. he's c- creeping up on it. Like the dude's going to Mars, but he's not just yeah. like going to Mars on his first attempt. He's, he's, he's going to be slowly creeping up. So um, let's get to the space station and yeah. dock and yeah. then get back to earth. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. if you see that motivational poster up anywhere, um, you have Take my permission to mm-hmm. yeah tear it down. It's just yeah. bullshit. Okay. <laughs> um, anything else about this? I I I believe this one's just going straight into the turd pile, Ben. Yeah. I mean, Jenny continues. Should I incorporate untimed practice test into my study schedule? No. Is there any benefit to this as opposed to drilling in the demon? Uh, drilling, as we just talked about, is extraordinarily beneficial. Also, in light of what we were just talking about, right? These astronomical goals versus drilling. What's the goal in drilling? Get the next question right. right. Can you understand that? And sometimes people don't appreciate that you may have to sit there for 20 minutes, like grappling with the explanation, writing a question to the instructors, and you like feel like this is all beneath you or a waste of time, or I got to get more questions done. No, take the next step up the mountain. Don't try to jump to the side or whatever. Like you're not going to make any progress. You want to move forward, even though it's slow one step at a time. Yeah. And, and by the way, if you've been studying for two months and you haven't made any progress, it's almost guaranteed. I mean, there's, there's two ways to do that. One is don't actually really study. Like you have been nominally studying, but you haven't actually been putting in the work. That's really common. Obviously don't do that. The other way is kind of the opposite of that, which is doing so many practice questions, you know, like you're so, you're very earnest, you're very diligent. Maybe you have a bad LSAT program, like you did another class and they gave you a mountain of homework and Mm -hmm. you're a, you're like an achiever, you know, type A plus person who is going to get everything done, but now you're just getting it done rather than understanding one question at a time. And less is definitely more if that's what you've been doing. You need to, instead of doing like, because we, shit, Ben, we see people who have done 40 practice tests and not improved. Yep. The only way you can do that is by not thoroughly reviewing your mistakes to the point where you actually understand it. And don't, I'm not listening to anybody who says, oh no, I understand it. I just haven't improved. Bullshit. (laughs) If you actually understand this stuff it will be reflected in your scores quickly. And I think there's a lot of self-deception that goes along too. Like people will read the explanation right after they do a question and I can see it. Like they're halfway through the explanation and they're like, oh yeah, okay, okay. I yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're about to hit like next and you're like, whoa, okay. So tell me, yeah, just like walk walk me through it. What would you tell someone who also made the same mistake you made? And they're like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, and then nothing comes. Yeah, can you can you explain it to my satisfaction? Yeah. Like I get that you're satisfied. That's great. But can you explain it to me? 
And the things I really want to know are, what's wrong with that argument? Yep. Did you try to predict an answer to this question? What's wrong with the wrong answer you picked? Yeah. What's right about the right answer you didn't pick? Why were you attracted by that wrong answer? <laughs> Why didn't you pick the right answer? And how are you going to avoid that mistake next time? Yeah. And yeah, it might take 20 minutes. I mean, I have done it in one-on-one -on -one private tutoring. I've sat there for a half hour on one question. And I've just been like, I've been like, no, I know you don't get this. But I also know that you will eventually get it. Yep. And I'm perfectly happy to take our whole time today until you until that one question clicks for you. Because I know it makes perfect sense. And I know it will make perfect sense for every student as long as you take the time to actually figure it out. But people are like, oh, no, no, I have, have to cover more ground. I have to get on to the next one and the next one and the next one before I even understand this one. What they don't seem to understand is if you unlock that one question, you've just unlocked probably safe to say a thousand others. Yeah. Which brings me back to my desert Island LSAT theory. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this on the show before, but it's basically if you had a year on a desert Island and your only entertainment was an LSAT one test, mm -hmm. 100 questions, or even a flex with 75 questions. By the way, we have an announcement about that, I think, don't we, Ben? Yeah. If you, ha if you had to sit there for a year and just study those 75 questions, one section of games, one section of LR, one section of reading comp, and that was the only thing you had to entertain yourself for a year, and you really dug in and you could you know, teach all 75 of those questions forward and backward. Yeah. You would be an LSAT badass when you returned to civilization. Yeah. I really believe that because it's the same shit in a different box every time. The test doesn't change. It's the exact same concepts over and over and over. And that's what the, the student who did 40 tests, I envy their work ethic, but they're they're just, it's a horribly inefficient process because they could have been going deeper and understanding each question one at a time. Hey, I, I should add, you said you envy their work ethic. There are different kinds of work. And one thing that Angela Duckworth talked about in her book, I, I don't know if it was Grid or another one that she did, but she said, look, the top performers are only studying for an hour a day, but they're going after the stuff that they absolutely struggle with. They're like, and they're pushing the ball forward and they're putting all their effort into that. And I don't know, you know, how much we want to apply that to the LSAT, but the thing is I worry about people who like work, but like you said, they're just checking boxes. It's like, it's a form of laziness. I see this in, uh, other areas. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a golfer, like a semi-competitive amateur golfer. Yeah. <laughs> and there are dudes who show up 90 minutes before every round so that they can hit two full buckets of range balls, mm. you know, like they're going to sort it out. They're going to figure it out. They're going to, the, and they're like, they're not going to be outworked by the way. They also practice on days where we're not even playing. So they're out there on the range, just beating balls every day. And I'm more like, well, 
let me do the stuff that's actually important. So if I go to the driving range, yeah, I mean, I might hit a few, but I'm going to be more like, okay, let me see if I can hit one driver straight. Cause I know that we're going to need to hit driver straight out there. So, and it's like, there'll be guys next to me on the range who are hitting like, they hit like 10 balls for every one ball I hit. Yeah. Because I'm like thinking about the shot, make a couple practice swings, think about what I'm trying to do, and then try to execute one good one. And if I can do that, then I can move on to like something else, you know, like go hit some chips or go hit some putts or whatever. And (laughs) by the way, to continue my analogy in golf, uh, the short game is vastly more important than the long game for Mm. scoring. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to get the ball in the hole, right? So you have to make putts and you have to chip it close. You'll go out there on the, like yesterday, we had a big skins game. And so there were like 40 dudes out there, right? That's where I'm, you know, trying to keep my distance and not get COVID. But (laughs) there's 40 dudes out there. And of the 40 dudes, 38 of them are on the driving range. And two of them are at the chipping green. You know, two Mm -hmm. of them are at the putting green. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? Well, Maybe because that stuff is perceived as too easy. Yeah. But it's also way more important. And if you could only practice one thing, that's what you should practice. Nonetheless, everybody's out there just beating dozens of balls on the driving range. Yeah. That's the equivalent of doing the hard questions instead of doing the easy questions, right? Well, I I think not to pile on here, but this is making me think about like when I'm working out, like – a small tweak in form can make the lift way harder, but it's so tempting to like slack a little bit and then be like, Oh, I did my 10 reps. Sweet. Right. And there's like this sense of accomplishment, but it's not, it's like, I'd rather do eight and do them right. And be like, Oh, that burned. And that's what you got to do when you're studying. I'd rather you do fewer questions and like own them than do 20 and be like, Oh yeah, sweet. I did my LSAT today. I did 20 questions. I, you know, I did okay. I got like, I got some wrong, but I get it. It makes yeah. sense. <laughs> no, if, if you have a choice between half-ass reviewing a whole test or thoroughly reviewing one section, mm-hmm. much better to thoroughly review the one section. Hands down. Or half-ass a section versus thoroughly review like your first two mistakes in the section, your first two mistakes are the most important ones. Those are the easy ones. Those are the ones that it's the most important that you fix. Those are the most repetitive questions. Those are the ones that you're going to see again and again and again. We get the bulk of our points on the easy questions. If you've missed an easy one, you should spend more time on that one, not less. Figure it out and also resolve it. It's so much easier to resolve. It could be resolved the next time you take a test. Right. But instead people are like lip service, you know, they read the explanation for the correct answer only and they go, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that was sure. Yeah. That makes oh, sense. Yeah, that oh, was I, a stupid mistake. Stupid mistake. Stupid That's mistake. what they always yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. I just got, uh, I just, yeah. I just I, read too I, quickly. Just didn't, didn't, yeah. Just didn't really read that one. Okay. Next. And then <laughs> they don't learn shit from it. Yeah. Okay. I hope that, uh, changes your guys' mindset. <laughs> Good luck. Um, Jenny continues, I'm not planning to apply this cycle, but I thought it might be of interest to some of the other listeners. I love the podcast and praise the demon. Thanks for all y'all do, Jenny. Okay. So this is the next 
I guess she sent yeah. us in two things. The next one says, and oh, above this is me- the actual, this is a screenshot from Instagram of the, of the actual tip. Oh, and then there's, we got both tips. She sent us two. Oh, two tips. So achieve goal score untimed is, is stupid. Mm-hmm. And the second one is an above median LSAT score in January is better than a below median LSAT score in November. <laughs> okay, there's a lot. <laughs> the implication here is that it's better to apply with a score that's above the median in January than to apply with a score that's below the median in November. Although this creates a false <laughs> choice, right? It's like, oh, my two choices are to apply in November with a lower score or in January with a higher score. No, apply in September with that highest score, that higher score, the next cycle. That is the best. Not only that, but a below median score is worthless no matter when you get it. So this is kind of an easy claim to make. (laughs) (laughs) And an above median score, if we're talking about like, let's was, what's the median been? 152? 151, last time I checked. But yeah. 151. Median is 151. Yep. Nobody should go to law school with a 150. It's just, don't. Don't do it. Oh, I was interpreting this to refer to the median of like the 50th percentile for the school. But you're just saying like. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Okay. Let's interpret it that way. Yeah, but if okay. they meant the median for all people, nobody should go to law school with less than like a 160. <laughs> so you shouldn't ever yeah. be thinking about the median LSAT score. I mean, you need a 160 or don't go to law school. Not today, not today. If you're only on 140 right now, that's fine, but you can get to 160. People improve by 20 points or more a lot frequently, and we see that all the time. And if you if the best you can ever do is grind yourself to a 150, the average of all LSAT test takers or, you know, 152 slightly above average for all test takers. I hate to tell you, but I'm, I'm betting against your success in law school and in legal practice. Uh, There can be exceptions, but on average, if 152 is the best LSAT score you can muster, you're entering a world of pain by going to law school and into legal, into the legal practice. Yeah. It's a zero sum competitive game, you know, (laughs) Why are you trying to be a UFC fighter if you're barely above average at fighting? Yeah. (laughs) It's painful. It's painful. If they're talking about the median of the school, okay, then fine. But, you know, that's the problem with these stupid tips and tricks, Mm -hmm. right? Boil it down into a soundbite and then – Anybody can easily misinterpret your dumb tips. Yeah. Uh, This account should be unfollowed. This is, (laughs) they're not helping you. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I think you already read this positive story. That was the one you read earlier. Oh, I Um, didn't realize that it had made it onto the agenda. Okay. So we, we did that one. Yes. Got it. Yep. So now you want to take this quiz? Yeah, totally. Totally. I can't wait. Oh my God, this is beautiful. All right, Ben, do you want to take it simultaneously and then we'll each see which type of lawyer we should be? Yep. All right. There's a note at the top 
Wait, do we need to read this email? Hold on. <laughs> Hi, Ben and Nathan. Huge fan of the show. I studied with the demon, actively listened to the show, and the application is now here. The application is now like here. The, she's in the process of applying. Time to apply. Okay. I wanted to get a better idea of what type of law interests me the most, so I turned to Google and found this free quiz kindly provided by the Law School Admission Council. Three exclamation points. <laughs> Aaron, what's going on? <laughs> I think she's. I think it's tongue in cheek, man. She's okay. a. She's a, she's she's one. Of, she's a fan, so I think she gets our sense of humor. Yeah. How generous! Exclamation point. Dripping with sarcasm. I thought you guys would get a laugh out of these questions, for they do not establish anything for me and just made me chuckle. Thank you for the advice and humor every Monday. Regards, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for listening. That's very nice of you. Aaron, I can tell you've been studying the LSAT because you just used the word for in place of because. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No one does that in real life. No, and if you speak like that... You're going to sound kind of weird. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Um, This quiz note, there's a big note at the top. (laughs) Note think of this quiz as an exercise to help you pursue your own research about choosing a law career. The quiz is not a foolproof diagnostic scientific tool, it's just for fun. Exclamation point. Gosh. Did they really think people are going to like do this and then say, ah, I am, I guess that's the world we live in. <laughs> then they pretend to be like a, a scientific organization when the truth is they are a marketing company. I yes. mean, just like law schools, by the way, we talked about this in class. Oh man, we did this one reading comp passage. Do you remember the reading comp passage about whether Essentially, it's about whether law is real or not. Mm. It's like, is law an actual system of rules that makes sense? Or is it just this thing that has evolved over time and it's basically pseudoscience or dogma? You know, it's like a lot more like studying religion than it is like studying science. Yeah. And it was shocking, Ben, because the class does terribly on that passage And I think the reason why they do terribly on the passage is that it's telling them something that they don't want to hear. I think there's this like cognitive dissonance where they're like, what do you mean? I'm going to get a doctorate. I'm going to be a doctor. It's a scientific, the study of the law is. Yeah. The language of the law. (laughs) The language of the law and the history of the law and the, it's a, you know, living document and it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's like, well, no, actually, uh, you'll figure this out once you go to law school. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's inherently political. And it, it, it they have t- twisted these words to mean whatever they want them to mean at various times in history. Did I tell you that I actually remember the moment in class and I remember the class I was sitting in? I was in the back when I had <laughs> no. this realization. No, I like this. No, what? no. So I, so I studied econ, right, as undergrad. Yeah, so me too. Yeah. Very – oh, okay, cool. So it's not, it's not like your hard science like physics, but it's still trying to find truth, right? It's like, okay, yes. well, we're trying to figure out what is happening even though we all kind of disagree about what is actually happening. We're trying to yes. find it. You have to like study calculus in order to study economics. You do not have to study calculus in order to study the law. Uh, that's because 
econ is, you know, I mean, econ's a BS, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a bachelor's of science, whereas a JD is not scientific in the slightest. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, you're trying to find truth, even though the models may not match reality. That's what the debate is about, right? Does your model match reality or my model match reality better? Anyways, I was sitting in class and I remember it was a smaller classroom. It probably had like uh, three or four, maybe five rows. And I was in the back row and the teacher was talking. I don't remember what about, but I just remember sitting there and I sat back and I said, wait a sec. All this time in school, like this is probably my first semester, maybe the beginning of my second, I was like, I was trying to find the answer. Like, what is the truth? What is the actual thing that the law should be? And then I'm like, that's so stupid. That's not what we're looking for. We're just making an argument and it's like, whatever fits the times that you're in. And it's just constantly evolving. It's whatever argument you can make based on precedent, which is their attempt to make it scientific, but it's really just a means of persuasion. Like, can I couch my argument in the past more effectively than someone else, even though it didn't actually happen? And I think, I can't remember what that reading passage said, but I feel like they talk about, do they talk about precedent at all in that? They talk about how you can't study the law as a, like, it's not a computer program. You have to also look at the history of the time here's what it meant in this history. And you have to realize that it never even in any given state does it make sense. It's always just kind of clunking along and being tweaked by political forces. Yeah. Oh, and it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a scientific discipline. And the, the class does like horribly on that. By the way, I have a very similar story to yours, Ben. Yeah. Um, I was in a con law class and I had already decided I was already tuned out. I mean, I was sitting in the back row, like working on marketing for my business <laughs> that I had just yeah. started like a year before. Right. And I was trying to get people to come to my LSAT class and I was handwriting postcards <laughs> that I mailed out to every law firm in San Francisco. Yeah. I filled, I filled out like a thousand. I mean, I, like, are you so still many. doing those? Like what happened? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> fortunately those days are behind me. Um, I, but I was, I was actually on the grind a little bit, you know, because I was like, shit, I, I want to make my business go. So I was ignoring class essentially and I was handwriting these postcards and sending them out. And uh, it was con law and one of my more earnest colleagues in class was discouraged and like raised their hand and they were like, uh, yeah, um, this all kind of just seems made up to me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Do, I want your opinion. Do you, is any of this real? That was the question <laughs> to my, to my professor of constitutional law. Is yeah. any of this real? And the professor goes, um, well, since I'm a professor of constitutional law, I kind of have to say that it's, I kind of have to say it's real. Don't I? <laughs> I have to continue the lie. <laughs> oh yeah, my I must continue my miserable existence. <laughs> anyway, um, wow, that's an interesting response. Actually, I, I'd be surprised. You, just own it. Like, yeah, like this is what we're we're trying to learn how lawyer judges think about the law. That's all. Ben, this was all in the reading comprehension passage. Ben, you should reread it. It's good. Yeah. Okay. In the passage. It it says, um, if 
we were to teach students the truth, if modern jurisprudence didn't lie to students yeah. about what the law actually is. Oh, they is, lose faith in it or something? I think I They would this. be dispirited. It says that the student would be dispirited. Yeah. And the public would lose faith in the system. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's amazing that this passage made it onto the law school admission test. And uh, it's not surprising that the students had such a bad time with the passage because they're just like, wait, what now? You're, you're telling me that modern law schools are going to lie to me about what the law is? It's all a big scam, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and I'm sitting there going like, no, for real, y'all. Like, if you have the potential to study science or math or like if you have the, the ability, if, you're, if you have the chops to study like a scientific discipline – I really wish you would. I, I, if you, if you're at all like me, if your brain works like my brain works, um, I think you'd be better off doing something based in data and science instead of just doing this like totally political made up thing. Yeah. You know, what's crazy too, is that there actually is truth behind different laws. Like if in truth, in terms of like, you could assess laws and say, okay, which ones are better than others? Which ones are more mm-hmm. effective at producing positive outcomes? But instead they don't acknowledge that. Instead they pretend that it's like this ironclad thing that's inherently the way it is. And so then there's no like open discussion about, well, did that law work better than this other one? Cause then they'd actually have to grapple with that. No. And they take diametrically opposed, um, you know, they, they're like, oh, no, it's I'm an originalist. But they're only yeah. an originalist on the issues where they want some particular outcome. Where they believe, <laughs> yeah, that that's a better outcome. Why not just the, acknowledge that? Like I'm trying to – okay, well, what's your actual outcome that you're seeing that you think would happen versus this other outcome? It's right. weird. Anyways. Yeah, it's, I okay. hated it so much. I mean I, <laughs> for all of our you know econ, mathy type of listeners and students – if you decided that today's the day that you're going to quit your pursuit of law school, Ben and I would be financial. We would, it would hurt us <laughs> financially. And we are both very happy if that's what happens. I mean, it, because we want you to be happy in life. You know, <laughs> we're not trying to, I have zero interest in trying to sell the dream. I'm not selling the dream and the law schools are, yeah. And so I you know, I'm not saying don't be a, I'm not saying don't be a lawyer. I'm not telling everybody not to be a lawyer. Some people certainly are cut out to be lawyers. But just make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. This is it's it's go, it's about power and politics and influence. Not really about right and wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should we do this quiz Ben and find out what type of lawyers we should be? Well, thankfully this quiz is just for fun. So. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So if the worst happened and I had to practice law, this is what, what this is. Okay. My smartphone is filled with, this is a required question. All the questions are required. Mm. It's just for fun, but they're, they're, they're still required. all required. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My smartphone is filled with music apps, sports highlights, Sounds of nature or foreign language lessons? Music apps. Uh, 
I have one music app, Spotify. I have one sports app, the Yahoo Sports app. Mm. I don't have sounds of nature. I mean, you can get those in Spotify. I definitely don't have foreign language lessons. I'm terrible at foreign language lessons. Well, I'm going to go with sports highlights just so we can get a different get different results. My cool. T-shirts I'm not saying I, usually. Uh, I might have two apps actually. I might. I think I have Apple's app and then I have uh, Pandora. I did have Spotify for a while, but I went back. Spotify is so much better than Pandora. Um, not even close. I have to disagree there, but anyways, absolutely go ahead. not even close. The listeners are going to come back ninety nine to one on this issue. No, Pandora sucks. The problem with Spotify is it kept giving me the frank, same freaking songs. I was like, dude, I want huh? variety. No, Pandora, Spotify has everything. I'm not saying it doesn't have it, but its algorithm is not working for me. Weird. Okay. Um, My t-shirts usually feature my favorite sports team, a brand name, my favorite band, or a political statement or hashtag. I'm going with the brand name. Yeah, same. Since all I ever wear is LSAT Demon t-shirts these days. Yep. Which one of the following best describes you? I'm a peacekeeper in my family. I have a healthy diet and I exercise regularly. Wow, we know what Ben's going to pick. I am passionate about pop culture or I like numbers more than words. I would. Okay, I'm going to go with healthy diet, I guess. I mean... I am not the peacekeeper in my family, although I have kind of become a parent to my parents. How the heck does that have anything to do with diet? <laughs> Passionate about pop culture? No. Like numbers more than words. Uh, I'm going to pick that one just because of our previous discussion about science versus cool. Like Sounds good. Dogma. One of my favorite websites is the Wall Street Journal, TMZ, WebMD, or BBC. Uh, that's <laughs> hard for me to answer in terms of favorite, but I would. Gosh, I guess if I had to go to one of these right now, I'd prefer to go to the BBC. Maybe that's what I'm picking going. too, because I feel like that's the least fake news. Although the front page of the Wall Street Journal is actually really journalism. Mm. Uh, the problem with the Wall Street Journal is that the opinion page is absolute trash. But anyway, okay, I'll go with Wall Street Journal. Um, just for a variety here. College should be a great chance to study abroad, a time to question the status quo, the classes you go to between sporting events, or a time to learn how to manage money. I'm going with a time to question (laughs) the status quo. (laughs) Okay. I would love it. You can pick the same on some of ours. No, I'm going to pick a time to learn how to manage money. Ideally, that would be fantastic. Instead, what happens in college is your first day there, they offer you 20 different credit cards, get a free t-shirt and a fucking hacky sack to get a credit card that you then max out and pay 30% interest. Um, (laughs) which is just so disgusting that they do that. But anyway, I'm a little obsessed with reading true crime novels, going green, following the healthcare debate or saving money, saving money. Same. If I could only watch one TV show, it would be Shark Tank, Grey's Anatomy, Dr. Phil, or Law and Order. If I could only watch one, it would be Shark Tank. You're at least same. I wish zero of those shows was an option, but (laughs) I mean, I suppose I could hate watch Dr. Phil. Like that, that, that's sometimes kind of entertaining, but 
I guess I'd have to pitch Shark Tank. I would be interested in reading about Alexander Hamilton, the new Jim Crow, mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness, about Cesar Chavez, or the case of Apple versus Samsung. I'm going to go with Apple versus Samsung. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. It's all nonfiction, so I would probably be interested in all of these. I'll, I'll, I'll take the mass incarceration one. Why not? I really okay. hate pollution. Yes. Disease. Yes. Plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> or even funnier, restrictions on draft picks. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. If you could solve one of the world's problems, Ben. I'm going to go with pollution because I think if you can solve that, you're going to solve some of the disease problems, maybe. Yeah, I'll take disease. Um, okay. Anybody who picks plagiarism. Wow. <laughs> okay, hall monitor. Um, <laughs> That's money is for investing, providing for loved ones, trips abroad, or concerts. Uh I'm going to go with providing for loved ones. I That's mean, what I was going to say too. Two. It's it's both of those. So yeah, well, I feel like you have to invest so you can provide more for exactly. loved ones. But yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. When I'm not studying, I am enjoying the outdoors, getting organized, volunteering, or watching movies. I'm going to pick outdoors. I'm always hiking and playing golf. Hmm. I'm going to say getting organized. Okay. With a law degree, I could save the planet, protect the innocent, help children. Or work with celebrities. What the? F <laughs> <laughs> if you chose work with celebrities, just stop right there and <laughs> you're done. Uh, I'm going to pick help children because one of my best friends is a uh, child advocacy huh. lawyer. With a law degree, I could protect the innocent. I'm going to. I'm going to go with save the planet. Great. For spring break, I mean, that's just like, this is such a clear, you know, marketing tool, right? They're like, yeah. hey, they're subtly getting you to, they're subtly oh. sneaking it in there. Oh. You, sh you know, law school, you could do all these things. You could save could, the planet. Like, could you protect okay. the innocent? <laughs> God. Okay. For spring break, I would love to visit Wall Street. Come on. Who does that? Participate in a protest. Go to spring training. Or spend time with my family. I'm a baseball fan. I'll pick I'll pick spring training. Why not? That's fun. Yeah, okay, I'll sp spend time with my family. All right. The best first date would be watching a murder mystery on Netflix. Oh, shit. Straight to the Netflix and chill on the first date. Good job, LSAC. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> visiting an art museum, <laughs> dinner at an Ethiopian restaurant, or volunteering at a boys and girls club. I'm going to go with art museum. I'm picking the same thing. Art museum. Oh. That's, that's the shit. My favorite day is Earth Day. The next release date for my favorite brand of sneakers, April 15th or the first day of the Olympics. None of these. Um, I'm going to pick April 15th because... I'm a guy I mean, who likes to get my taxes done early. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. That means you're done, right? Well, no, I like to get my taxes done way before April 15th because then I get to gloat all the way up until April 15th about how yeah. my taxes are done. Yeah. Um, so I'm picking April 15th. Okay, I'm going to go with the first day of Olympics of the Olympics because 
Ah, these guys are motivational on some level. Sure. Okay. The first section I read in the newspaper is the business, the local crime, the world news, or the sports. I'm picking sports because that's the only thing I would ever look at a newspaper for. Uh, I'm looking at, I'm picking world news. I want the box scores. Okay. I love movies about heists and crime. I love movies with subtitles. I love movies that critique society. I love movies, but the behind the scenes negotiations interest me most. Again, they're like trying to subtly, they're going to like give you the false idea that you're going to go to law school and end up making deals, like being a like mover and shaker in Hollywood, Behind which some like big movie you just saw. Yeah. Yeah. If you already have connections in Hollywood, then yes, that's going to happen to you. If not, then mm, maybe I suppose you could go to Yale and use your degree to be in Hollywood. Mm. I I don't like all of these, but I'm going to go with heist and crime. If I have okay. to pick a movie, it's probably going to be one of those. I'm picking subtitles. Foreign, ti- foreign films are awesome. Okay. I'd like my law practice to help businesses, at-risk children, sick people, or nonprofit organizations. Businesses. Okay, I'm going to go with the kids again because my friend Nikki would like me to. Here we go. Submit. What the heck? <laughs> This is the dumbest quiz I've ever seen. I got tax law, Ben, as number one. The reason okay. why I got tax law is because I picked April 15th. Like that, I knew what wait, April 15th wait, what was. What percentage so, did you give you? So like 50%. So, oh, yeah. It gave me 50% for tax law too. And I did not pick April 15th. Hmm. Oh, did you get anything more than 50%? Yeah, I got or was ta- higher than that. I got intellectual Uh-oh. property law at 67%. Okay. What? There you go. How, how? What? How did they get that? <laughs> I also got sports law and family and juvenile law. It's like if you picked the ones that are about sports, it's going to tell you, oh, you could do sports law. Yeah. (laughs) Sports law. I I like watching sports, so therefore I'm going to go into sports law. Who goes into sports law? No one goes into sports law. That's not a thing. This is an extremely distasteful um, (laughs) marketing ploy. This is completely useless. Civil rights is one of them. Wow, they really like want to pander to your aspirations for going to law school as opposed to your reality for leaving did law you get, school. Did you get 0% on any of them? Yeah, I did. Civil rights for me was zero. Corporate and securities <laughs> law was 50%. So that's ben, actually like something that people could go into. Bastard. I got 0% on entertainment law. Same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, okay. for writing in. Yes. The last one is scholarships and thanks. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and former Demon subscriber. I finished studying for the LSAT this summer after ending up with a 173 on the July test. Praise the Demon! Exclamation point. I'm now in the process of applying to schools and am aiming for somewhere in the top 20. By the way, this writer is very precise with everything that they're writing. Um, I suspect you're a good writer. T14 or higher would be even better, but I am working with a 3.73 undergraduate GPA, which falls below the median at many of these schools. Since I no longer have an active demon subscription, I appreciate the scholarships beta tool. Oh, I appreciate that the scholarships beta tool is accessible without an account. The tool indicates 
a less than encouraging scholarship outlook in the T14 with my numbers, which led me to wonder what effect a higher LSAT score would have on my prospects. When I trade my 173 for a 180, the only change in the T14 is at Duke, which moves from less than half to half to full tuition. Um, okay, by the way, the URL for that is lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Is, that, is it the case that at the top schools and with an LSAT score already above the 75th percentile, one to seven extra LSAT points makes little difference in terms of an applicant's appeal? I understand the tool is still under development, but could also see how the results, that these results might be accurate, especially for someone like me, a so-called splitter. Any insight you have would be helpful in my planning. I do think I can score higher than a 173 if I waited to apply next year, but if that wouldn't make much of a difference, I'd have more peace of mind this cycle. It would also be good to know how much stock to place in this tool's predictions so I can be strategic about where to apply for scholarships that might provide leverage at my preferred schools. Thanks again for all your help and wisdom. I've heard on the podcast and in the community about a surge in high LSAT scores. If this is true... I fully believe LSAT Demon is a major contributing factor. It's the best prep out there, and I recommend it to everyone I meet uh, who shows interest in law school. Warm regards are. Wow, well, I'm glad you love the Demon. Thank you. We also believe it's the best tool out there, but I'm sure some people might disagree. In any case, I feel like you're putting too much stock into our estimator. Would you agree, Nathan? Yeah, the estimator is going to get better over time. We just recently added a page that states our assumptions and asks for feedback. We were already asking for feedback, but now we're going to state our assumptions as well. And hopefully the community can help us to crowdsource an algorithm that makes the most sense. But we're we're guessing based on very incomplete data. So if you really want to dig in, I mean, rather than us going through it on the show, I, I think the best thing that people can do is just go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships with an S and then uh, click on the, you know, play around with it, put in different numbers, see what it spits out, and then um, look at that assumptions page if you want to see exactly how we're making that sausage. You know, how, how much faith to put in it? I don't know. Check out the assumptions and see what you think about those assumptions. It's meant to be a handy, I mean, why did we make it, Ben? We wanted people to be able to put in an LSAT and a GPA and hit submit and get some quick and dirty answers. It's, yeah, for for <laughs> what, maybe years now, we've been encouraging people to go look at the 509s and they're looking at those numbers and they're coming up with rough guesses for what they think they should get. This is a rough guess, but it's at least based on some... Rules, and then as we tweak those rules, it should get better and better. Yeah, as opposed to we're just, doing bulk guessing for you. Yeah, you should then take. I mean, it should be a jumping-off point for your own investigations. If you're deciding whether to apply to a school or not, I mean, our estimator, if it gives you a high likelihood of a scholarship, then yeah, that one might be one to consider. But just because it doesn't give you a high likelihood of a scholarship doesn't mean you still can't consider it if it's your dream school or if it's the school in your backyard or whatever. And I mean, the truth is are you probably should be applying to 15 or 20 schools. So the estimator might suggest a few to you that you hadn't thought of. But that's about 
the best. It's just it's not. It's, it's not like we're we're taking incomplete data from the 509 stuff and we're tweaking it to to try to give you an idea. That's the best we can do. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for writing in. Glad you did. Glad you kicked ass on the demon. I mean, what do you think about this though? Like, would you tell R to retake? With a 173, uh, possibly, because R could go above the 75th percentile for some top schools, and that might make a difference. I mean, R is still a splitter. I don't know, but I could see it helping. If yeah, I mean, to. UVA would love to be, you know, mentioned in the same breath as Yale, Stanford, Harvard. So would Chicago. So would NYU. So would Columbia. So would all of the other schools in the top 14. And so that 173, if it goes above their 75th percentile, yeah, I mean, I think they have to think about you slightly differently for scholarship purposes at that point. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but for R particularly, you're already applying kind of late this cycle. You know, you're going to hear this podcast in November. I've been hearing every day, the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing every day people telling me that they're admitted or telling me about their scholarship offers at various schools. I know that um, Wash U just sent out a whole bunch of uh, scholarship offers. I had multiple people on the same day emailing hmm. me saying, hey, I got my full ride to Wash U. Hey, I got my full ride to Wash U. And Okay, so are you know you're lining up behind those people who already got their offers in, as Anne Levine said on the show, the most competitive application cycle ever. Yeah. So if you can score higher and score and then apply at the beginning of the next cycle instead of your good 173, but not like blow away the top 14 they're not going to look at a 173 and be like oh my god you're a rock star right but with a 178 they might be like oh shit okay well we don't see that many of those mm -hmm. and if it was on september 1st of next cycle which should be less competitive because there won't be all of the covid uh deferrals i just if it was my money or if i was in charge of ours career I would absolutely wait till the beginning of the next cycle anyway. So, okay. Cool. Let's do this question. It's uh, test 65, section four, question 10. It's a logical reasoning question. Okay. Do you want to read it? Sure. Okay. In trying to reduce the amount of fat in their diet, on average, people have decreased their consumption of red meat by one half in the last two decades. <sighs> Any thoughts about that? Is it, you gotta, I mean, you're thinking, right? You're not just yeah. like ignoring that you're, or you're not just moving on to the next sentence. You're like, oh, so what you're telling me is. People, so since they're trying to reduce the amount of fat in their diet and they have reduced their consumption of red meat by one half in the last two decades. I'm thinking, okay, so they must 
think that red meat has fat in it. I mean, that's just right. one simple thought. Whether but, they're right or wrong, yep. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we know in real life that red meat does tend to have fat in it. You can get super low-fat versions of red meat. But these people, like we know that on average, people have cut their red meat by half in trying to reduce the amount of fat in their diet, mm-hmm. which means they are doing it for this reason. Yep. Whether they're right or whether they're wrong, that's what they're trying to do. Okay. Yep. And by the way, do we know whether they have actually reduced the amount of fat in their diet? No. Not after that first sentence. We know that that's what they're trying to do. And we know that they have cut the amount of red meat in their diet. We don't know if they've actually reduced uh, fat in their diet. Yep. Even though that was their goal. Okay. Next sentence. However, on average, those who have reduced their consumption of red meat actually consume substantially more fat than those who don't. I bet you can predict the question type. <laughs> it's going to probably be a resolve the paradox question or a must be true question. Yeah, almost always these turn into be these turn out to be paradox questions. You know, people were trying to reduce fat and so what they did was they cut out red meat. But as it turns out, the people who cut out the red meat ate more fat which is the exact opposite of their stated goal. So here's what they tried to do. And they did cut out red meat while attempting to achieve this goal of fat reduction. But instead their fat consumption went up. Yeah. So that's a puzzling set of circumstances. You should be curious here, right? You should be like, huh, what's up with that? Why? Yeah. And then you read the question stem and it says, which one of the following, if true, most helps to resolve the apparent discrepancy described above? What are you going to do next? Well, I already have a prediction. And this is before I even realized that it was a paradox question. I already was thinking to myself, okay, so they cut out the meat. (laughs) They probably, I mean, this passage never discusses it, but I'm thinking to myself that red meat does in fact have fat. So they probably did end up coning out some fat, but... My thought is, uh, okay, so it wasn't as they got rid of fat or they got rid of red meat, which was satisfying or something. Mm. And in an attempt to satisfy their cravings, they ended up eating more things that end up, end up having fat. And maybe they didn't realize that those things had fat or they didn't realize how much they were eating of them. Either way, they didn't satisfy themselves in some way and ended up overcompensating by eating other things that have fat. That's the sad reality. Yeah. Okay. My thing was just, oh, well, the people who cut out red meat must have added other sources of fat to their diet. Uh, Or I suppose, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah, I was getting into it a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. Like just on a, you went the next step beyond that. But I was like, well, if you cut out red meat, but then instead ate French fries, um, it could be that that red meat you were eating has less fat than the French fries you substituted. And, um, you know, that's an easy explanation. Or maybe they substituted in cheese or maybe they substituted in ice cream or um, whatever. It seems like there's a million different ways that we could actually explain this. We don't have to predict exactly the answer, but it's great that we predict an answer, right? Here is the type of thing that would be satisfying as a resolution to this paradox. If it were true, 
that every single person who cut red meat out of their diet was guzzling olive oil at every meal, mm-hmm. that would explain it. Now, I don't know why people are taking shots of olive oil. Yeah. But if they were, then that would explain what happened here in this paradox. All right. A says many more people have reduced their consumption of red meat over the last two decades than have not. Nope. Okay, but why? Okay. Um, this is just telling us numbers, like how many people have reduced their consumption of med- red meat. Um, more have done so than not. So more have engaged in this process of getting rid of red meat. Great. But why does that mean that they would have consumed more fat? It doesn't even talk about what else they ate or how eating less red meat contributes to more fat. Right. It just doesn't explain. It's like their goal was reduce fat. The way they tried to do that was eat less red meat. Turns out, though, they ate more fat. What's up? And A is just like, well, yeah, a lot of people have quit eating red meat. Yeah. Not, it's just not an explanation. B, higher prices over the last two decades have done as much to decrease the consumption of red meat as health concerns have. Okay, this is again explaining why the numbers of people who eat red meat have gone down or the amount of red meat that has been consumed has gone down, but it doesn't explain the increase in fat. I think the lesson here, one one thing that I find students miss is mm. they don't realize how bad the wrong answers are. Like I would see a student sometimes leave A or B open like, well, that could be it. Yeah. And it's like, no, it can't. If you had any idea what the question was actually asking you, you're asked to explain why their fat consumption went up. And A is like, well, lots of people stopped eating red meat. And B is like, well, lots of people stopped eating red meat because of the price (laughs) And it's like, yeah, I know, but that's not the, that's not our job here. Our job is to find an explanation for why these people who ate less red meat ate more fat and A and B are just like complete zeros, just a total whiff. The wrong answers are so, so wrong. C, people who reduce their consumption of red meat tend to consume as much of other foods that are high in fat as do those who have not reduced their consumption of red meat. This does not do a good job either. If anything, this makes the paradox worse. Um, right. It I think it's like the most attractive wrong answer so far. Sure. At least it talks because about Because at the least fat. it's about fat. <laughs> yes, yeah. thank you. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. But, Explain yeah, but, why this is. So this is, to me, what this is saying is that the other foods that these people are consuming is kind of on par with the other foods that people who haven't reduced the amount of red meat they eat are eating like it, and so then I would expect them to have less fat in their diet because they're eating less red meat and everything else is kind of the same. So this makes the paradox worse in my mind, or does nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm sure it does nothing, or I'm sure it's at best it does nothing. Yeah, and I think you're right that it might actually make it worse. It's like, oh, as much as yeah. Now, we needed – they substituted French fries for red meat. They substituted ice cream for red meat. We need them eating more fat, not the same amount. We need them eating more fat 
and C doesn't get you all the way there. D, people who reduce their consumption of red meat tend to replace it with cheese and baked goods, which are richer in fat than red meat. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, that's like, that's what we were saying. We didn't know what. We didn't know it was cheese, but, or whatever. But that would totally do it, right? I mean, and I think that this is something that people do a lot. They're like, oh, well, I'm not eating red. I'm trying to be healthier, so I'm cutting out red meat. And instead, I'm going to eat a grilled cheese sandwich soaked in butter (laughs) for every meal. And if that's true, then that explains why your cutting down red meat actually increases your fat intake. Um, I think cheese was one of my predictions, actually. I was definitely thinking about dairy stuff. E, studies have shown that red meat contains slightly less fat wait, wait, than previously. Nathan, why are you reading this answer? We already found the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, the reason why I'm reading this answer is that I'm not in the business of trying to shave off five seconds by being lazy. You know, and maybe not lazy is the right way to think about it, but it's going to take me five seconds to read this answer. I'm probably going to immediately know it's wrong. Studies have shown that red meat contains slightly less fat than previously thought. Slightly less fat. So they, they cut out red meat, which is they did that because they were trying to reduce fat and they ended up increasing the amount of fat. So red meat isn't as fatty as we had previous, slightly not as fatty as we had previously thought. They're not cutting out as much fat as they thought they were, but they're still cutting out fat. They should still be cutting out fat. Yeah. So C does or E does not explain why their fat intake actually went up. I think it takes me five seconds, Ben, to do that analysis. Well, and then plus you walk away from this question knowing that D is correct. But if I think you're, I don't know if we're going to say the same thing, but if E ends up being remotely like plausible, then you're like, oh sh- shit. What did I yeah. miss in D or am I missing something in E still? Yeah. And you could kind of do math on it, right? Like um, how many times do you have to be right for every one time that you're wrong if you're going to save five seconds by not reading the remaining answer choices? Right? Because yeah. every time you're right, you save five seconds. Yay. Good for you. You saved five seconds. Yep. Every time you're wrong, you miss a question. You just wasted that whole minute and a half. Right. Two minutes. Yeah. Right. You know, let's be generous and say that it only took you a minute to do the question or that it only takes you a minute to do questions. Well, that's not even possible, right? Because then you'd be doing the whole section in 25 minutes, which you really shouldn't be doing. But if it was a minute. Yeah. That's 12 times five seconds. You you have to be right 12 times in a row to save the 60 seconds that it took you to do the question. Yeah. And if you're wrong on one out of those 12 times, then you miss the question and you completely squander the time that you did spend. I love telling people that a missed question is the world's worst waste of time. Yeah. You said to me recently, in a slightly different way, you said, if you miss the question, it's as if you didn't do it at all. Yep. And that's why we read all five answers on the logical reasoning and on the reading comp. 
not always on the games, especially if it's the last question or two on the games, on a game, and you're totally solid on the game and you just know, you know, no, X cannot go third. And that's the answer. Fine. But logical reasoning and reading comp, it doesn't, that doesn't happen like that. And I'm pretty sure that one out of 12 times, I'm going to read one of those later answers and go, oh shit, wait a second. And then it might cause me to reread the answer that I was about to pick. And I, I get, I have a second chance there to not miss the question. We were talking earlier about how, um, you have to make two mistakes in order to miss a question, Mm -hmm. or at least when you're reviewing your mistakes, you should think about the wrong answer you picked and the right answer you didn't pick. If I were to just pick D here without reading E, I would be potentially not even reading the correct answer, which means that if D was wrong and I picked it, I made one mistake and missed the question. But if you read all five answers, then you have to make two mistakes to miss the question. Yeah. And that's why people don't, people who get good at the LR, it's possible to score perfect on LR because you're not going to make both of those mistakes at the same time. Right. So reading all five answers is like the backup parachute. You know, hopefully the first parachute works. Hopefully you did correctly identify that D is the correct answer. Yeah. But if that shoot didn't work, (laughs) you would really like to have the backup parachute of reading the last answer and just being a hundred percent sure getting to a hundred percent instead of just being 99% get to a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's that. Amen. Um, Oh, I I teased an announcement earlier about the LSAT flex. Yeah. Yeah. So the May 2020 LSAT flex was added to law hub maybe a week ago. And just today they said that they would send us that test and we could put it into the demon and then start providing explanations for that. So it's like Christmas for me. My classes over the next few weeks are going to be heavily focused on the May LSAT flex. There's nothing I like better than teaching brand new LSAT questions that I have never seen before. Yeah. Um, We'll get that test up into the demon as quickly as we possibly can. Yep. And we will create the highest quality explanations that exist. Um, Probably multiple explanations for most of the questions. And, uh, I'll have a lot of fun in Demon Live over the next couple of weeks, uh, yeah. hammering out those explanations. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. You can also follow us on Twitter at Thinking LSAT and at N Fox. That's me. That, that's, of course, Nathan. Um, leave us a review on iTunes, email the show at help at thinkinglset.com. Your questions drive our agenda. So please don't hesitate to ask. That was episode 270 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.